This is Fireground Action Photography, episode 29 for the week of February 22nd, 2009. This week, a roundtable discussion with photographers Ross Benson, Joe Brown, Ted Pendergast, and Timothy Tonge. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Fireground Action Photography, the podcast produced by and for photographers specializing in emergency services action photography. My name is Craig Derling, and I am your host. Joining me on the Fireground, we have an expert panel today for our discussion. We have in studio or on the Fireground or in base camp, whatever you want to call it today, legendary Southern California photographer Ross A. Benson. Ross, welcome back another week. Craig, how are you? Another week's gone by. We're doing... Show number 29, <clears throat> excuse me, got a frog. You're getting all choked up. I am, you know, and and uh, getting to wear this gift, nice gift you gave me, an FAP so a work shirt with my name on it. It says, uh, oh, it's even spelled right. Oh, right. It is. It's right. upside down when we were looking at it, but <laughs> it's, it trouble. is spelled right. Also with us from uh, Castle Rock, Colorado, Timothy Tons. Welcome back, Tim. Hi, good to be with you once again. Good to have you. And from the Metro Boston area, the Power Duo, one Canon, one Nikon. It's an even score. We have Joe Brown from Woburn, Massachusetts. Welcome back, Joe. Hello, guys. How are you? And from the Metro Boston area, I'm not even sure where you live these days, Ted, but we have Ted Pendergast. Welcome back, sir. Uh, the People's Republic of Cambridge is where I reside, and hello to everybody. Have it square. <laughs> Exactly. Wow, we have uh, this technology. You know, we have grown, Craig, from doing you and me looking at each other to this new technology. We're on Stickam. Hello, Stickam, if anybody's watching. We have. Uh, the same people that are on Skype are watching on Stickam right now. <laughs> well, we're going to. But more growing. people are watching the. Uh, are going to be watching the recording of it. So. Right. Hello. And also, we have with Stickam, or I'm sorry, with. Uh, Skype. Skype, we have guys back in Boston. Uh, we got Tim in Colorado. We have three time zones represented in this one little room right now. Pretty amazing, it's guys, if cool. you think of the technology. We all used to play with that black and white Tri-X and think where we were. And look where we are now. And we're going to be talking about cameras. Nikon, I can say it. I used to own one. And Canon. And you put one in front of me so I could spell it right, I guess. C-A-N. Your Nikon is now keeping your boat from floating away, but... <laughs> <laughs> I digress. Oh, hey, good. Ted. this is going to be a good show. Oh, it is. Ted, how is it back there? How are you doing this week? It's doing very well. It's uh, it's warmed up a bit to a, a balmy 32 or 33 degrees, and uh, it's it's very nice. Some of the snow is starting to melt, so I think we need a new snowstorm. I'll split the temperature <laughs> with you. I'll send you 40, 43 of our 86 degrees. Uh, no, thanks. I like the cold. I'm going to keep it right here. I'm, you know, anyways. I'm not a tropical guy either. I'd rather be cold than hot any day. But oh, yeah. you just, uh, were you out uh, doing a little buffing earlier today? Well, yeah, not not a thing going on, but I was out and about for a little bit, toured around the Inner Harbor in Boston on the piers for a while, but uh, not much going on. Very quiet. Well, and to our, our benefit, because you're able to join us here. Excellent. And Joe Brown, have you uh, gotten out to shoot anything this week? Any uh, portraits? Any portraits or any, uh, wait, no, he does a lot of those team sports. But he was going to look into taking some department portraits. Joe, have you followed right. up on that at all? 
I, I have sent out a couple of emails to my chief officers and have not heard back from them, but uh, we're actually in a busy time of year here for budgets and things are being done right now. In the city of Woburn, they just published last year's budget book and the, the, the people are all abuzz at the, like, the number of runs that the city of Woburn did. It's, we haven't had a book, uh, I don't know if you'd call it the budget book, but we haven't had a, a city breakdown printed in a few years so all of a sudden they see that the cops are doing how many thousands of runs they're doing a year and the firefighters are doing this many medicals and this many car accidents or, or mvcs as we were talking about in the last show so uh the, the, the they've been busy fielding a lot of calls and questions about that so and you, joe you might have to excuse yourself a little later in the show because you have to go shoot some uh some uh, sporting events this evening, but I think it's important to note that at this time with these budget crunches going on, this economic situation, this is as important a time as any for the photography that we all do, because with the numbers that are going in those reports, pictures tell a thousand words uh, and give people a visual as to what their departments, their agencies actually do. And that can really help departments. Chief Pansini, a few shows ago, Burbank Fire Chief, said the same thing. He goes, with those numbers, his presentations include the pictures we take because providing that visual for city council members, for budget people, for the community really helps uh, sell your need for, for well, that you money. Know, Craig, that fire we went to a week or so ago, Tracy and I talked about that afterwards. You know, fire departments are thinking about cutting department manpower now he he promised all these new rookies that i just got done shooting none of them will be getting pink slips he's definitely against lowering the the guys from a four-man apparatus to a three-man and that fire you and i went to they had a rescue that was a four-man crew and they could perform that so much better with four men you know and And they needed it yeah and you know with stimulus packages being the the buzzword the last couple of weeks and everything. I'm just curious if any of our fellow photographers put in for their photographic grants yet. Grants, yeah, really? Wow. Yeah. yeah. Well, I know on the on in Southern California here, public public safety, as it is anywhere, is really a priority when it comes to budgets. Um, but any, I don't know that a lot of departments out here are laying off bodies. They're eliminating positions that are yet unfilled. So they're eliminating positions that aren't occupied. Are you guys look? Your departments back there looking at, at actual bodies losing their jobs or what's the situation back there we had a big one yesterday it was announced that um in the city of new bedford massachusetts which is an economically depressed area as it is down by cape cod they laid off 38 firefighters and 38 police officers i will give them pink slips yesterday that sounds like it would be the entire department uh pretty darn close to it no Ahead, no, I'm just going to say on top of that, they've been uh, this this last six months or so has been extremely busy in New Bedford. They've had a lot of various very serious fires. Their neighbor, it's an old uh, whaling city, and so there's a lot of balloon construction. The houses are built very close together, and their fire activity has gone way up in the last six months. And here they are going to lose 38 members of their of their firefighting right, force. Right. So it's it's a tough hit. Right when fire activity is going up because of the economy, we've got personnel shortages, which is just going to compound the problems out there. Well, I know out here what he said, what they're going to do is probably what they're called brown out an engine. Uh, for six months uh, out of the year, they might be able to save a million dollars on browning, taking an engine company out of service. And when they have illnesses, instead of guys getting overtime, they'll take the four men from that apparatus and put them out, or they'll make a task force crew out of it. And Arnie, our governor, is a is shutting down the DMV every other Friday. So if you thought the lines weren't bad enough before, they're hmm. going to be worse now. 
But uh, one of the couple of things I thought we'd uh, talk about today is, uh, is fire scene safety. And we're going to get to that, I think, probably organically through uh, the way we're going to start this. And it's how do you approach a scene? I don't mean philosophically. I mean physically. When you roll up on, a, on any given scene, how do you approach that? What, is your pri- what are your priorities? What's your checklist of things to do? When you roll up to a residential structure fire, uh, you know, before you put your gear on, do you crank off a couple of shots to document the scene, uh, to document the way rigs are laid out? Or do you put your gear on first? What do you, you know, are you getting um, the hose lays? What are you, what are you documenting? What are your priorities? Um, Tim, maybe you could start this uh, as somebody who strictly shoots for a department. Uh, what's your typical uh, order of things that you're doing rolling up? And we'll start with a, a structure fire. We'll go on to traffic collisions and things, but we'll start with a structure fire. Well, the first thing I'll do is, uh, as I'm driving, uh, be listening to the radio and starting to uh, to get a size up in my head. Uh, evaluating whether whether I'll I'll be early on or if the incident is is well on. If I happen to arrive first, uh, the very first thing I'm going to do either via radio preferred mode or if I don't have the radio via cell phone is I will call uh, dispatch on the cell phone or on the radio and give a size up. So if I happen to be the first one there, the, the single most important thing I'm trying to do is let the arriving crews know what they have and any outstanding issues I need to, to let them know about. Otherwise, as I drive to the scene, I'm thinking about where am I going to safely park and what are the first images I might shoot. As I arrive on, she- on scene, I'll go to the back of my vehicle where my gear is and start gearing up. If it is a working structure fire, I will try to uh, snap off oh, half a dozen, a dozen, just just quick. Here I am at the vehicle, blast, blast, blast. Before I put the bunker gear on, once the gear is on, I'll, I'll tend to shoot a couple more as I make my way to command. Uh, I always check in. Uh, that's a requirement uh, at a working incident to check in with command, let them know I am on scene for accountability. And then I'll start documenting the scene. Uh, in my case, I'm, I'm looking at uh, as, as, as quickly and as safely as possible getting the 360 of the structure. I want to get layouts of the equipment. I want to get all hose runs, and in particular, I want to get the uh, the firefighters uh, uh, fighting the fire. Again, if I'm early on, it's important for me to get as much uh, fire images of the working fire as close to what may appear to be an origin as possible. That helps tremendously in the uh, investigation, and that's particularly important if I get there ahead of the uh, the uh, arson investigators, and I probably do 60% of the time get there quicker than the investigators. So first shots of fire, p- personnel placement, um, equipment placement, and then as the scene winds down, uh, whatever interiors I can get to help the investigators um, and, and things like that. Working structure fire, the one other thing I will attempt to do is, is shoot, the, uh, shoot the crowd. And sometimes it may be discreetly, and, and many times it won't be. I don't. I don't need to be discreet in that. But we right. will. We will shoot the uh, shoot the crowd. So that's a a typical arrangement. So safely position my vehicle, get into the bunker gear and protective equipment as quick as possible. Check in, and then methodically document the scene. Okay, and and Joe, what's your uh, order of doing things? We may have very uh, similar uh, steps we go through, but in this particular case, in a, in a, a structure fire. Uh, what are your priorities? What's your order of doing things? 
Well, it doesn't really matter whether it's a structure fire or anything. Um, in the last show, we spoke about how I had just gotten back from a, uh, a traffic collision, a motor vehicle accident that involved a uh, police cruiser. Well, uh, similar to Tim, I start, as soon as the opportunities present themselves, and that means even if you're still in the car to photograph something, then, then you go right ahead and do it. So uh, the, 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 the police cruiser accident that I was at last Saturday was uh, – uh, on a main drag, and I got stuck in the traffic like everybody else. I, I'm not department, as you guys know. I'm a news photographer, so I'm not given lights and siren and anything else to get through the traffic. So uh, I think, like anything, you think about where you're going, which direction you're going to be, and what lane you're going to be in. So as I pulled up to the scene, uh, I was able to see it from the driver's seat. I always have the camera right next to me and started firing off some frames with a telephoto lens right from, from the front seat of the car. As soon as I parked the car, I get out, and just like Tim... I call them table setters. So that's the way we were brought up in the photography business for newspapers is that uh, those are those wide shots that you see that can be uh, kind of the overalls. I start shooting those right as I'm walking up the street. Even if you're, even if there's a roadblock between you and, say, a structure fire, um, a good one was last summer in Saugus, Massachusetts. I'm not sure if Ted was there, but uh, a lot of people were there. It was a rather large fire. There had been a rescue made before my arrival, but it was a, a three-decker, as we call them here in, uh, in, in the Boston area. And it was going pretty good. I had to park a goodly distance away because I was late getting there. But walking up the street, all that fire and smoke pouring off the roof, it's a good angle to have at least, even if it's not published in the paper, you've still got it. And it's, it's the table setter, as we call it. So Good term. Uh, definitely, I like that. <laughs> yeah. No, well, I mean, that, that's, that's going to be your first shot. That's going to be hungry. a wide angle shot. <laughs> and uh, even if uh, I've had editors call me and say, we're not going to put it in the paper, but send me the table setter just so I can have an idea of what the scene looked like. And that's kind of a documentary. You, you know, yeah. Type the other day, I, middle of the night, or that fire that Craig and I showed up to, there was a uh, civilian who made the one call driving by, you know, and then he's running around the front yard like uh, a chicken with his head cut off, literally, yelling, you know, save this guy, and there's a guy in there, and all all sorts of stuff. But as soon as uh, we got the victim out, he disappeared. But looking through my pictures... I had him running around, and for an arson investigator or for a police officer having to do follow-up, those shots are so important. Oh, absolutely. That was one of the first things I learned 20-plus years ago when I started chasing fires. And when some of the departments had asked me if they could have copies, they'd look through the pictures, even back then, and negatives and prints, and they'd say, hey, do you have anything of across the street? And I'd say, well, you know, first, they'd say, well, what do you mean across the street? Why would I want to shoot there? The fire is, you know, behind me. They say, no, we need the crowd. We want to see, right. you know, we can compare photos and see uh, there's, there's investigative tools that allow us to, if it is an arson. And, uh, and I know, you, we've, you know all, we've all spent our, our fair time in those pictures as well. You know, oh, there, absolutely. You know, Lawrence, Massachusetts, you know, summer of 92, there were, in 92, there were over 250 arson fires, second alarm and above. And if you're, you know how Lawrence is laid out. <laughs> You know, there's a lot of potential there, but you know the task force was going around, and and we'd be there covering the fires, and they're not even looking at the fire; they're taking picture of the entire crowd there um, at all these scenes. Ted, what the what angle do you take? We we you know we have Tim who shoots strictly for a department for the most part. Um, Joe, who is is there representing a newspaper? What's your angle on uh, approaching a scene? Um, very similar to both. I mean, uh, my. The first thing, I mean, once I get to the scene, I'm doing the assessment on the way, you know, getting a, trying to get a, that, as Tim said, that mental picture of what's going on and of what I might find when I arrive there. 
Um, once I grab my, my camera gear and I b- do the bailout, my first look is to see, is, is there a, a, a dramatic, decisive moment going on right now that I need to shoot? Um, and if the answer is yes, my first thought is, all right, I need to get there. Are there hazards between me and, and that spot to get the shot, i.e. a rescue, forcible entry? Uh, you know, the, the initial line guys masking up about to advance the initial line. Do I need to get there and shoot that right away? Um, and, and I do, I mean, in all honesty, I look for, I'm looking at the power lines here in the, in the Northeast. Um, they're older, uh, older towns, older, older buildings. So most of the power is delivered via telephone poles and overhead wires. Um, so, you know, that's where I'm looking. I'm looking up and I'm also looking at the building to see where the service connection is and is that still intact or is it in danger of coming down? And most of the time then I'm going, as long as that's okay, that's pretty much okay for me to go to where I need to go to shoot. Um, assuming that there isn't a decisive moment type thing that I need to shoot, I'll shoot a scene shot and maybe a couple of them as I get closer and then I'll do the front of the building, and then, as Tim said, a 360. And the 360 not only encompasses what's my access going to be um, to get all the way around the building and shoot what I need to shoot, uh, fences, uh, other hazards, and, and that sort of thing. Um, what is the property? How big is it? Where is the fire within the building? And is, where is it likely to go uh, or potentially going to go? Um, and what is the, the type of construction, type of occupancy? If it's a commercial building, a lot of times I'm looking for their business sign to see what they make because it would be kind of nice to know if there's hazardous materials in the building. And that's a real good tip-off if it says metal plating, Joe's metal right. plating business uh, on the sign. Uh-huh. Exactly. Um, you know, are there, are there products in there that I'm going to need to worry about um, for my safety, obviously? I'm, and, you know, I'm sure the fire department is, is well aware of that anyways. And then if it's, a, if it's a residential building, what kind of condition is the building in either prior to the fire? Is it a rundown, vacant building? Was it a building under construction where it had a lot of open spaces and therefore the supporting members are exposed? And is that building going to fail sooner than perhaps a, a fully occupied building might? Or is the fire so advanced and is there fire in so many places within the building that the structural integrity of the building is now compromised by the fire? Um, it, you know, to get to the safety thing, there's there's three or four incidents that I have encountered over my 30 years of taking fire fo- photos that have been permanently etched in my mind that forced me to look for particular things. Um, and so I, that I have to say it's there every single time I go to a scene, those, those three things, those three or four things, I, that's what I look for. It pops up in my thoughts and, and that hopefully will keep me relatively safe uh, on the fire. Now. I think that's important to all of us because you know, the department is on the scene evalu- evaluating all these same things. Well, they're not going to communicate that to you. That's up to you to figure out. So you've got to have your head on a swivel. And I think it's real important to bring up that you've got to consider these things, construction, hazards is it a plating company is it a, are there hazardous materials there do you know how to read the placards that are on the side of the building you know the the higher the number the higher the hazard but do you know what the different category, the four categories are on those uh, on those placards well i think uh, very very good point uh, ted and thank you very much those hazmat signs that are required on plating plants almost on any commercial building now if you have anything from oxygen to acids to everything between has to be on that sign and i think our photographers out there they can go online and look for or go to your local department and they have printouts of what they are and know what those signs are before you get in there i went to a plating plant many years ago 
and uh, stood a block away. And they, when they finally closed down the scene, they wanted to decon me, my camera, and every inch of me. You know, and I said, my camera's not getting washed, folks. Um, but again, you have to know what you're getting into. Yeah, I remember one one uh, commercial fire we were on in, in Van Nuys. This was probably 12, 13 years ago now. Um, and it was going pretty good. And the one thing I hadn't considered was what was inside, what was involved, and what was in the runoff coming mm-hmm. out of the building. In and fact, I walked we, through you're right. you know, a little culvert in the road that goes through the intersections for drainage, and the runoff was going through there. And I didn't think twice about it at the time. I'll tell you, I do now. But the runoff was brown in color coming out of the building, right? And I walked through it, and I happened to step through it. Well, my footprints coming out of it were white. So when huh. you walk through something brown and you're leaving white footprints, there's probably, <laughs> needless to say, I got rid of the, the boots I was wearing. Um, but I, still to this day, I don't know what it was. You know, and it's something to, and it, that you know, just like we've all had that incident, we never forget. It's etched in our minds. That's one of them for me. I think, and I didn't hear any of them say it. We're doing this ourselves, but to any of our listeners, if you have that department radio or scanner, listen to the conversation from your first in engine. Hey, we have this placard. This is what it is. You're, you're going to know pretty quick from that first engine. They're going to give a, a, a size up to the chief officer coming in or to any additional equipment coming in. Listen to that. It's really important. And they're going to be given updates throughout the incident when the utility, when they cut the power, when they shut the gas off. And, you know, they're going to advise of power lines down or arcing or watch out for at the uh, couple, you know, last week we shot a fire here in Burbank and they warned of the uh, AC unit that was about to collapse through the roof of the house. So they pulled everybody out. But this is the importance of listening to the fire ground traffic not only on the fire scene, but like you guys mentioned, on the way to it, because it alerts you to these hazards, might alert you to the best way in, and, and it might uh, tell you to avoid coming in a certain way or park in a certain place. You've got to, got to listen and, to these things. And Craig, as you've said before, don't, what was it? Don't bring a victim to a rescue? Sure. Don't don't become a victim. I, I will tell you that we had a fire here in Woburn uh, a year or so back, and it was in the middle of summer. It was during a thunderstorm. House was struck by lightning. Second floor lit off pretty good. And uh, one of the first things that happened was the where the lightning had hit was the power dropped from the pole to the house. So the line was down and draped over an engine company. So they took some yellow tape and they avoided the they, – they, they said to everybody, look, at, we're putting the tape up around the wire so that nobody goes over there until we're sure the power is actually shut off. We're going to avoid touching engine 5 whatever. Well, this one fire buff kept going over and walking through the yellow tape and walking through and the chief had to talk to him three or four times and the chief finally said, look at, you know, you know better than this. I, I, I expect better from you at the scene. So if you're not going to follow that that yellow tape is there for a reason, you need to leave. Well, and that's yeah. the first time I'd ever seen that where the fire was pretty well under control so the chief could do that. He wasn't shirking his responsibility to the fire. But he didn't want this kid because he knew him and I'll say kid because as far as I'm concerned, he was a younger, he was, I think he was 15 or 16 years old. Um, he just didn't want the kid to get killed. So, yeah. you know, don't bring a victim to a rescue right. is absolutely something to live by. And you know, I see know. that out here a lot where you have the traffic cones up blocking the street. You have a unit in the street or you have police tape or fire tape up or flares or whatever. If somebody, if there's a hole big enough for somebody to walk through a drive through, they're going to do it if, they're, if, if they can get through there to get where they're going. And the problem is, as I've commented to some people, is yeah, fine, you live two doors down the sidewalk, but you don't know what the hazard is. You don't know why the tape is here. You don't know why the cones are up. You don't know why this is shut down. So there's nothing to say that the hazard isn't between you and your house. You know, and, and 
the, just the other night, hose lines. I, I had a fire captain talking to a chief. Stepped back a half a foot, went right over a line, fell on, fell on his back. You know, right in front of us. He said, okay, which one of you guys pushed me? You know, they made a little joke about it. But for a photographer, you fall to the ground, you're going to probably break a camera or strobe off. You know, those Or your things, neck. Or your neck, right. But at traffic accidents, uh, last year, the L.A. City, uh, LAPD lost an officer at the scene of an accident in the middle of the night. Street was closed. Like you say, that one person who didn't see the cones, you know, barreled through and clipped an officer. Traffic accidents are the worst for guys' injuries. We've talked about it on the podcast before. You're starting to look through your viewfinder. You're focusing. All your concentration is through this little tiny viewfinder, and you totally are oblivious yeah, to we, what's coming up behind yeah, you. Yeah, we can't afford to do that. you got to have the head on a swivel. You can't have the blinders on. I think we'll all agree to that. Um, but even when a road is, in theory, shut down, you can never assume it's shut down. Just like when a microphone is in front of you, you always have to assume it's on. Um, mm-hmm. in this case, but now that you, you brought up, uh, collisions, um, we've gone around the horn on, on structure fires. Um, let's just go in the reverse order. Ted, uh, coming up to a traffic collision, what do you evaluate first? Uh, you know, the, as far as hazards, there are hazards that are specific to traffic collisions. Uh, and what are you looking for in traffic collisions? I don't shoot that many, although lately it seems like I've been shooting quite a few traffic, um, as I like to say, motor vehicle accidents here in the Northeast. I refuse to go politically correct and say MVC. Um, but, uh, Such a rebel. <laughs> yeah, well, we talked about me. that the last time, huh? <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm all rebel. Um, what I do is, uh, same thing, big, big thing for me at motor vehicle accidents is uh, power lines. I'm looking to see if a, if a pole has been hit, if there are power lines down on the street. I look to real quick to see if there's fluids in the street. Uh, i.e. gasoline or any other fluid if it's a commercial vehicle that uh, might be of particular hazard. Um, but uh, And then it's a 360. What, you know, that, that first thought is, what's the decisive? Is there a decisive moment? Is there a dramatic thing going on right now that I need to shoot before it's done? Um, and then looking, you know, drawing a, a straight line to that dramatic action, can I get there safely? Um, once that's done, it's a 360. Finding where my shots are going to be are, are going to be taken from and and, and doing it there. Um, uh, you know, I will say I'll, I'll, I'll back up uh, a smidge, and I, I want to say it was several episodes ago um, around the holiday season. You had talked about, um, uh, or we had we had talked about um, uh, being sensitive to other victims and other parties on the scene. And uh, building fires, I do think about it, but I, I'll be honest with you, I think car accidents, I tend to think about it a little more, and I don't know why. Maybe it's just I've experienced more. Uh, people at car accidents, you know, other occupants of the vehicle that are okay, and, and yet the driver is pinned or a passenger is pinned uh, in the car. I, I don't know why, but I tend to look around a little bit more to see who's there, who's who's traumatized, and 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 whatnot. Uh, it just, I guess, it's just a thing uh, with car accidents in me. But uh, that's that's what I do. You know, it's funny you say that, Ted, because I uh, I don't know where I was. I was oh, I asked to speak in front of a class of elementary kids about photography, and one of the girls little girl brought up that she was in an auto accident and she couldn't figure why the photographer kept shooting her picture. And she was mm. more scared of her picture appearing in the front page of a local paper or online somewhere and all her, her friends seeing it, you know, and I never realized this is a girl, maybe she was eight, nine years old, but that imprint in her mind you know, and I'm there talking and I had several pictures of accidents and fires and that 
kind of flashed back in her head. And I don't think we take that into account when we're snapping away at an accident. Well, part of the, the my technique at any scenes like this, and we've talked about it in the past, I think, when, uh, when Rick was on a show, Rick Knoll was on a show uh, quite a while ago, is the game face. When I'm at a scene, I have my game face on. I'm not yucking it up. I'm not smiling. I'm trying not to laugh. There's because it's going to be taken out of context. You don't know who is watching, who's standing around. Uh, Ross and I covered a, a a fatal triple fatal collision on the 134 freeway probably 12, 13 years ago now, and uh, we were out there there shooting, and the game faces were on because we found out later the one of the victims' brother and whole family was on the side of the the freeway watching the mm. entire scene. The brother had seen the collision. They were they were racing, as it turns out. Um, but he watched the collision. The whole family had shown up. They were all lined up at the tape. But it's important to have that, that game face on. And, sure, um, and it could be misconstrued by the people who are there as, as you know, something that it isn't. So. Absolutely. And, and the topic has come up recently on uh, some of the photo forums, including our own Flickr group, is the comments uh, on photos. We're looking at them photographically for their photo quality. Uh, and you might say, hey, awesome shot or, you know, great fire shot. What a boomer. What a boomer. Uh, somebody from the outside looking in that doesn't know the context in which those comments are, are coming up might go, my God, what's wrong with these people? How cold are they that they think this is a, a great thing? And, and you know, we've talked about it off air as to our thoughts on that. But that's another thing. If taken out of context, uh, you know, that perception goes a long way. And, you know, a lot of reputations can be ruined by perception. It includes the comments like that, inclu- includes uh, how you act at a scene. You know, Craig, it, it, that brings up a good point, and and I don't want to segue here, but I, I, I or I'm just curious, and it's a conversation that I've heard recently amongst photographers like ourselves, fire buffs. We see a lot of fire, we see a lot of victims. You know, how do you debrief? I'm, I'm just curious from the guys that we are talking to right here. You know, have any of them ever uh, nowadays? It's a big thing with departments how you go back and talk about it and and kind of lower the situation. And, and you know, we see a lot of death. It's it's a unfortunate, but we cover that and we shoot it both fire and police. You know, accidents and so forth. I'm just curious. Uh, do any of them uh, debrief a certain way? Tim, do you uh, out there in Colorado? Do you sit down with the guys around the table after, or how do you decompress? Well, you know, in, in my case, if there was that need or if I felt the need to do that, it would be with the department internal. Um, I, I frequently go to incident reviews, particularly on the fires. That's not so much of that kind of debrief. But if I felt the need, it would be it would be talking to the guys that were on the call with me. Okay. And Joe and Ted, you guys are geographically close to each other. Do you get together with the other guys back there? Or who do you find you talk to about these things? Well, yeah, I mean – I hang around with a lot of the guys here from Woburn, and you know you see them out of uh, you know when they're not on duty. Again, as a news photographer, uh, I've been invited to to do the debriefs, and and actually sometimes we cover them as a news story after the fact. But uh, I guess you know, knock on wood. Luckily, I've never really had to uh, never had a problem with it. I've I've got three kids. I go home and give them a hug whenever I see something that uh, that that does have some kind of an effect. Uh, like I say, uh, I'll go home and. You know, just and, just be thankful for I, what I have. And that, here can, cer- and, that can certainly be enough for you, too. And, and I think, yeah, and, and, you know. It's a newer thing that departments, they want to have uh, the younger guys on the department to go back and go around the coffee table and debrief it and, and downsize it. Um, and, you know, I don't know if, uh, like I say, a lot of us see the same things they do. And uh, if 
And usually they won't allow us photographers into that situation at a station because it's it's showing their soft side, their their human side. And we realize it. Um, you know, yeah, you can go to a plane crash and pull a victim out and then just go on with your regular day. But nowadays, all departments, I think, uh, take that time. Yeah, that's a good, good point. I, I think a... I think a big part of it too is is um, having your head in the right place to begin with. I mean, we wouldn't be doing this um, for for as long as we've all been doing this if we didn't understand the risks um, that uh, that the emergency service folks, the police officers, the firefighters, the EMS workers, etc., um, are getting into every day, and and what the eventual unfortunate outcome will be at some point. Um, and, and so that's, that's something you get going in and, and it's certainly unfortunately reinforced, um, throughout your career as a photographer, you're going to see these things, um, as far as, as people losing property, uh, and, and losing, you know, lives certainly and, and, and memories going up in smoke that, that are irreplaceable. Um, you know, if you don't have your head in the right place to begin with, then you shouldn't be doing this. Um, and, and that's not to say we all have to have thick skins, but you need to be able to process things in the right way and your thoughts and say, okay, well, yeah, that's, that is absolutely a horrible thing. You certainly are going to feel the emotions, uh, and, and, and they're going to be that much increased when it, when it turns out to be somebody in the services that, that you know, or, or whatnot. Um, but, uh, you, you've got to, you've got to have your head in the right place. I don't, I don't know that I can really articulate it better than that. Um, no, it's a good point, Ted. Uh, you know, a couple, couple weeks ago, uh, I think it was Andy uh, had put up on the discussion group about shooting at a funeral. Now, a couple of weeks ago, I had the the assignment. Uh, I did uh, the f- funeral of a retired fireman, you know, and I think most guys are always used to seeing my head behind a camera. I was there shooting everything, and I'm basically I put it together for the family, for the department, for u- future use you know, and so forth. But for the family, they can't see everything that went on. In fact, I was just told I missed a lineup um, that I did not know about that that occurred during the funeral. But I'm going to give that to the family um, because years years down the road, when they want to talk to their grandchildren of how respected their father, grandfather, or whoever was, they can look at the funeral and they can go, wow, look what they did. They lined up. They They did this. You know, they did the march, the bell you know, and all those things. And and that's why I photographed it, you know, but I know during, while I was shooting, they had two lines and the coffin was coming out and, um, you know, people kind of wonder, well, why do you shoot that? Well, that's why. That's mm-hmm. all part of what uh, we do. Well, and I think too, down the line, and there's a, there's a certain, there's, there's actually a grieving process that you're going to go through when you experience a dramatic event, uh, a trauma, I should say a traumatic event, there is there is actually a grieving process you're going to go through. And for some of us, it's very short. For some of it's, us, it's a very long. But at the end of that, you have to remember that what you do as a photographer, you're, one of the primary goals is to try and educate the public and to try and educate the firefighters who, and the police officers and the EMS workers uh, who are on the job about things to keep in mind, uh, hazards to think about. Uh, practices to to think of, um, you know, all of those things. So I hope that at some point, as you get towards the end of that process, you start to think, okay, that was ver- that was horrible. But hopefully, this is going to remind somebody. This is going to stay in people's thoughts, um, so that down the road, 
the same thing won't happen to them. Not that anything was done wrong to, to bring that person into that situation, but just you'll, you'll remind folks to, to keep an eye open. And so I think there's something in there that says, okay, I feel a little bit better uh, in that something good actually might come out of this horrible thing uh, down the road. I think that's very well said. And to bring attention to a recent uh, forum post uh, that you made, Ted, is, hey, if this fo- photograph can can convince one person out there to check the batteries in their smoke detector, to make sure their fire extinguisher is charged, you know, to take these certain steps to ensure their own safety and perhaps the prevention of these incidents, then it, then it's wor- worth it all, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, yeah, exactly. You know, you're right, Craig. I, numerous pictures that I've shot, I've had people from uh, the local high school uh, the mad mothers against drunk drivers have come to me and said, can we look at some of your crash pictures? Because those pictures mean so lot, so much, you know, and always during graduation time, I've lent them pictures because I've always said, if one kid could look at my shots and decide not to go out and, and drink it up and party it up and go flying around in a car, that's what I want my pictures. And that's the, the same occasions that they bring out the cars to all yep. the schools, those yep. crashed cars. Yeah. And it's so important. Which is- well, just going to say that's once a year. You know, you see that around prom time, right. which is great. But our pictures are there twenty four seven. They're that's there true. all the time. So you hope that, you know, in the middle of uh, of September or October or, or June or July or whenever that there that maybe somebody sees that and says, oh, geez, you know what? I did that last weekend. Maybe I shouldn't do that again this weekend, et cetera. And yeah, yeah, we I, just scheduled one of those here in Woburn. The same thing for the uh, the Jaws of Life. Get some kids to play some some actors and. Uh, you know, make it look like a pretty good uh, thing. We have a new uh, helicopter here in eastern Massachusetts, and I think we're going to get to see the new helicopter for the first time, uh, the new Boston MedFlight. So that's uh, the same thing. I feel the same way. If we, if we can have one uh, one youth, as was once said, uh, make uh, a, a different decision to save a life or possibly not consume something, uh, you know, it, uh, it that's all it takes. makes me happy. Yeah. I think, well, this is a discussion that I think we could definitely revisit uh, on a future show. I, th- I think it's definitely something important to talk about. Um, kind of coming back to around to our original topic, helicopters, you know, arrive at traffic collisions uh, and create another hazard. But, uh, Joe, we, we need to get to you on that. Uh, what are your considerations coming up to a traffic collision? And I have made a little list of some of the hazards that are specific to traffic collisions. And uh, and I'll bring those up, but first I'll give you a chance to talk about um, your approach to a, a collision. It's it's the same as uh, as a fire. You you look for the table setter, and then as Teddy would say, you, you know you you paying attention to your hazards, and you're looking to see what's going on, be it a minor accident, or um, when we when we talk about it, I, I can only help but think of uh, the Ted had some photos just recently within the past three months. Of and Teddy, please correct me if I'm wrong, but um, Teddy had a, a little—I want to say it was like an MG. It was a little foreign car, and apparently it had uh, magnesium in it. And when the boys put the fire, put the water on the fire, it uh, reacted with the water, and it, it added another uh, whole dimension of safety to this uh, type of thing. Teddy was up on a bridge shooting down. It was actually some very cool photos, wow. as I recall. Um, but I do the same thing as, as everybody else does. You're looking for the hoses. You're looking for the apparatus placement. Obviously, if you're on a highway, you're looking to see what lanes are still open 
And uh, one of the rules that I always live by is you park ahead of the accident. You do not park behind it uh, because I drive a Ford Explorer, which if you put it behind a Ford Crown Victoria or one of the new Dodge Charger police cruisers, you're effectively blocking some of the lights, some of the warning lights that are there to save your bacon. Not, Good you idea. know, so I don't. I particularly will sit in the traffic for a couple of extra minutes just to get by the accident scene so I can park ahead of it. That's a great um, point. It's just one of those things that I was taught early on. And again, uh, that way if you've got other apparatus coming up behind you, that area is clear for them to move into their correct positioning. We all know that apparatus positioning at the scene is a science unto itself that uh, they're taught. I'm not. I, I don't drive apparatus, you know. So... Um, uh, uh, and then, of course, you're looking for the jaws of life. You're listening to the radio. And uh, a lot of times here in, in the towns that I cover, uh, we recently had a call for head-on motor vehicle accident in Winchester, the town south of me. And the first thing the officer asked for was the ladder truck because the ladder truck is what ca- carries the jaws so or, or the hearse tool, however we want to phrase it these days. Um, so I'm listening for that stuff, and then I know, okay, I'm on my way to this accident. The ladder's going to be a couple of minutes behind me. Uh, I've got to make sure I'm out of the way so the ladder truck can get to the scene and bring in the required apparatus to, you know, again, extricate a victim. So, now, uh, again, it's that table setter. It's that the ABCs, as we, as we discussed at one point, you know, mm-hmm. as the EMT goes through his ABCs, you, you've got to make your own assessment the same, almost exactly the same. Now, Joe, safety, uh, absolute safety first. You said you park ahead of the scene. Now, um, out here, I know for me, I, I don't have markings on the outside of my vehicle. Most people know who I am, but so forth. But if I get up on the freeway, I have a dash placard that I put in the window so people will know. So when an officer arrives and thinks that car way up there might have been a witness or something, he can walk to my car and know that it's mine. And I'm just curious uh, if all of you uh, identify yourself or your cars. Now, I would think uh, Tim has department markings or so forth. How about all of you? Well, Tim, what uh, do I'm you gonna have? Answer that. I was going to answer that real quick only because I've only got about two more minutes before I have to depart for um, hockey. Okay. So, uh, yes, I do. Um, I belong to the Boston Press Photographers Association and have belonged to that since uh, just about since day one. And we are issued um, – well, you can get a license plate that says news photographer here in eastern Massachusetts. And uh, personally, I'm, I think that's a sign that says break into this vehicle. But that's another story altogether. Um, uh, we also have neck – uh, ID cards that are issued by the state police. And, they still um, they still have the tricard. That's exactly yep the tricard exactly yep, and it's honored by pretty much every um, department here in Eastern Massachusetts. I've actually used it in New Hampshire too, and they've recognized it too as as I'm not some guy out there trying to bust into a scene that I'm a legitimate news gathering person and trying to you know get into the scene. Um, and then we do also have dash placards. Some of us have them, some of us don't. Not every single one of them does. Luckily, where I am. Uh, it's pretty obvious who the you know when you get a news car with a few antennas on the back of it, or when you know the tuna fleet shows up as we call it, then uh, you know that uh, you know you know who's who. The antenna so, farm, uh, yeah. The antenna farm, exactly. <laughs> so. Now, do you find that those credentials uh, work for the most part, or that you um, do you often actually need them, or do you just always have them displayed just in case? I only display them up on the highway because I don't know every single trooper. Uh, where we live is a, a, a kind of a, a mishmash of uh, troops, um, and we have uh, 
we have an eight. We are in the basically what we call A Troop is where we are. But there's uh, several different barracks. There's Medford, which is down the highway closer to to Boston, and then there's Andover, which is further up on the North Shore, and then we also have Danvers and Concord. So the troopers could come from any one of those barracks, and I don't know every single trooper in all of the barracks. I know quite a few of them, and they know me. So luckily that uh, that helps too. Again, I think we talked about that a few uh, shows ago. Was it you know personal? contact with the troopers and personal uh, interaction so they know who you are, identifying yourself to them. It doesn't hurt, not, not one bit, even with the, even with the regular the, the cops who are just uh, the city cops, town and city cops, sheriffs, however you say it, in your neck of the woods, um, just to identify so they get an idea of who you are. You know. And again, that way also that when they're going through the photos at the fire scene, and we talked about this just a few minutes ago, when they're going through the fire scene photos, and they've taken the crowd shot, and you appear in, in the crowd shot of that third alarm that was yesterday, and the fourth alarm that was the week before that, and the fifth alarm that was the week before that, and they see you. Maybe not everybody knows you when they're going through those pictures, but somebody's bound to say, a sergeant or a lieutenant or even a patrolman, go, oh, hey, yeah, that's Joe. He's from the Woburn paper. Yeah, no, he's, you know, he, he, he's above reproach for this. We know he's not the guy out there running around taking the, you know, shooting. We, we see him all the time, you know. So um, really just it's it, – it's, it, it, this is such a wide-ranging thing um, that it's just it, – it's it's the best thing, I think, is still the personal context. But then just wear your ID. If you need to have your ID, just keep it with you. That's the best thing. Joe, right? it's been a pleasure with you today. I know you got to go out and shoot, uh, do what we do best, and cover some sport event. Again, uh, Craig, I know, wants to say thank you uh, out on the West Coast. Thanks again for joining us, Joe. Thank you, Joe. No problem, guys. Yeah, thank you. Sorry to run in the middle of the show. Um, I do have to run, though. Uh, we got high school hockey tonight, big games. We're getting down into tournament season. All these games are important for that, the kids. That's so, a, absolutely. Uh, and we're just going to sit here until you get back, so we'll hold. Yeah, would you just wait? Yeah, I'll be <laughs> yep, back in a couple We'll wait hours. for you. Okay. <laughs> All right. Ted, All right, guys, Joe. thank you very much. See you soon. Take care. Ted's still see, there. See you later, Joe. Well, Ted is here, and what's interesting is during, while Joe was talking, I noticed that we lost Ted. And Ted should now be yeah. back. I am. You are good. What happened? I I lost my internet connection. Everything went down for okay. a second. So I'm, I'm glad I was paying attention to the screen. I also I noticed that there was no more Ted. Well, good. Ted Welcome was, back, Ted. We just Ted. lost Joe, and and uh, I know you have great some great experiences back there. And I think we still have Tim out there in Colorado. I am here. There okay. He is there, okay. and we have, and we still need Tim's uh, view on this. Do you have any anything uh, other than what uh, Joe and Ted have uh, mentioned as far as your appraisal of a traffic collision scene? And you do cover well, a lot of. What did I say? You said Ted. MVAs, yes. I said Joe and Ted, right? <laughs> I don't okay. know what I said. I'm confused. <laughs> Sorry. Go ahead, Tim. Yeah, I, I probably approach it a, a touch different. And again. Uh, um, like we call them MVAs out here. And again, what I do will depend on, on whether I happen to be, be first one arriving or not. On on MVAs, I have a slightly better chance uh, of getting there ahead of uh, being first in as opposed to structure fires, just depending if when and where the calls drop. But if, if I am first in, again, same thing on, as on a structure fire, what I want to do is up, update dispatch and the incoming units as to just exactly what they have and in particular the location. Uh, if, of course, if the incoming units are 30 seconds behind me, I won't do that. But if, if I'm significantly ahead in, in terms of minutes, uh, the first thing uh, I, I'm thinking about is making sure that 
they know where the proper location. Number two, scene safety. Just where do I park my car? And again, if I'm first in, that may impact it. Uh, I have on occasion, in, including a, a recent uh, MVA uh, just a week ago, uh, where I will actually shut down a lane and, and use and use my vehicle and strobes for that. So if if it's for a safety reason, I'm thinking of that. And then without question, one difference certainly than than what the other fellows have said. In, in no case will that camera come out until additional units have arrived. Once I'm there and have updated dispatch, uh, and it may not be in that order, the first thing I'm probably going to do is, is go up to the vehicle and check on patient status. I'll let them know I'm with the fire department. I'm not a paramedic, but I am with the fire department, and uh, get their status and then give the update as to location and patient status. But in no case ever, without fail, I will never – retrieve the camera until additional units are there and the patients are taken care of because my number one responsibility well certainly safety of myself and, and and fellow firefighters but patients safety patient condition comes first and i can't serve a patient by taking pictures ahead of ahead of time and i'm absolutely. not a paramedic but in many cases, the, the mere fact that I say I'm with the fire department, they're two minutes away, I'm updating them now, that gives a calming effect that does in fact have a positive approach to the patient. So if I'm first, that, that's what I'll do. If the guys are already there, then, then what I'm looking at is, is, again, where can I properly put my vehicle? I feel the most dangerous thing I do is shoot shoot MVAs on, on roads. I think that's far more dangerous than structure fires. So I A, want to get my vehicle well off the road. And then I try to use the equipment that's, on, if, if possible, equipment as shields. If I can put a fire engine between me and active traffic, that's where I like to shoot. Uh, and again, then it goes down to the, the typical documentation. But in my case, Again, everything I do is, is generated by do the units on seed need, need a hand? If so, my first responsibility is to assist. That may be holding an IV bag uh, or whatever. Uh, most of the time they do not. Occasionally they do. And, and so I'm driven by that when I first arrive. And then to, to answer your question you asked about, about markings, no, I, ha I, I respond to my vehicle so it doesn't have fire insignias but i've got a uh, a sticker on the on the front of the car for police identification that says i'm an authorized emergency vehicle i've got strobes they're not red they're white strobes in front red strobes in back but they really light me up nice at night again that gets back to the safety and i do have a red that i will on rare occasion use i do not run hot to scene but once i'm there or i'm at the roadblock i'll turn that on either to mark my vehicle for, for motorists to see or just to let the, the officers know I'm, I'm official and they'll let me through. So that's just on and off typically quick. But the strobes, the whites in the front, the reds in the back, I like those because they do light up my vehicle pretty good. And for anybody listening out there, understand, check your local laws as far as what lighting equipment and things you can ha equip your vehicles with. That's important. But it's uh, important to note that, Tim, you, you are affiliated officially and almost shoot strictly for a fire department. So, uh, you know, we mentioned a little while ago the, the perception. Perception goes a long way. You, you're identifying yourself as a member of the department. You're wearing probably some identifying uh, garb. Uh, you know, if you were the person stuck in that vehicle or that injured party, what would you think if somebody you thought was a firefighter was standing there taking pictures of you. And and we have to take that, even if we're not in that role, um, that perception is is very important. Is You know, you can be uh, some distance away. 
if it means that somebody, you know, some victim isn't looking at you going, who the heck are you and why are you taking pictures? This is not appropriate. Um, I think that's that's important, and in, especially in your role. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to – I will add to make it absolutely – absolutely clear to any listeners yes i am i'm absolutely official i have to go through paperwork for the emergency equipment on my vehicle and i'm I'm under a very tight set of rules on when i can and can't use it and at 98 percent of the time it's mainly so i can safely park on scene and that's the biggest reason i have that equipment but uh, you do not want want to uh, in any way shape or form run afoul of that if you are not absolutely absolutely authorized and then to follow up i just yes i do not pull that camera out i'm officially there as a representative of the department to assist in any way shape or form however going to the professionalism side i cannot see how you're served a photographer is is served if you're there ahead of the arriving units I don't think you should be shooting that victim. That's a personal bias, but I don't see how you're documenting the fire service ahead of the units arrive. Once they're there, that's different. So tying exactly to what you're saying, I'd really think twice about getting very close uh, and starting to shoot pictures when you're the first one there. You might very well want to uh, want to make, you know, make sure you're in a safe spot and and whatever you can you can uh, do to update uh, through your cell phone, if there's any confusion at all that you've picked up on on location, by all means, take that step and call 911 to give them the proper location if you suspect there's a problem with that. And I think just to piggyback on that, I think there's a moral obligation that we all have, that if we're the only one there, if we're there first, the priority for me is not the photography in that case. It's as a you now become a first responder. Uh, you know, you look at the um, uh, Princess Diana crash, right? We certainly aren't equating ourselves with paparazzi in any way. But this, you had a major collision, you had three people in a car, and you had a a whole gaggle of people standing around doing nothing but taking pictures. Now, to me, that's that's unacceptable. I mean, you have, as a human, you have a responsibility there. And and the fact that a lot of those people got prosecuted, the ones they ultimately identified, I'm, I'm all for that, because what they did was unacceptable to me, just as a person. You know, that's funny, Craig. The other night at that fire a week or so ago that we went to, they pulled a victim out. They had to get two paramedics to work on the guy. And the one paramedic that I was assisting, my camera went over on my shoulder. I was either holding a flashlight. I kept saying to him, what do you need me to get? What do you need from me? Because, you know what? My pictures weren't as important. He was a a, lo- a sole paramedic working on a, a fire victim, and he was just, you know, at just the time and everything. Right. And so, I, you know what? My pictures, I'll get them. I got them when I got there. The paramedic needed assistance. Right. So, yeah, you and Joe said something a little while ago that hit me. He said, they're taught we're not. Yeah, keep that in mind. You know, know your limitations, know your abilities. But there are times in these wildfires where we're out there in the middle of nowhere, three houses going up. And one rig, you know, maybe even one guy trying to trying to pull hose and get a hydrant going. Uh, there are more, you know, there are times I can count on more than two hands that we have slung the cameras and helped pull pull hose, untangle a line for somebody because it's we're all in it together at that point. And again, keeping in mind your training and your limitations, your authority, how far you can go with this stuff. But uh, you 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 know you're. The more important calling might be to help at some point. The other thing that uh, we, Tim said was the lights. You know, uh, we've had we've experienced that out here on the West Coast, where people will put on lights of all sorts. Know your local laws. Um, just because you're shooting for a department, 
that doesn't give you a license to put on illegal lights. You're going to have your own your own rules. Ted, were you going to say something? No, that was I think that was Tim. Tim? I just I just I just think you're absolutely hitting it dead on with with the moral responsibility. If if you're there and 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 a firefighter or a paramedic needs something as simple as holding a flashlight or something very simple, that that should be your number one responsibility as a human to just assist and even uh, i'm not suggesting if you're first in the wreck you start doing medical uh treatment of a patient unless you're you're certified and know what you're doing but the simple fact that you say hey i'm here right. the firemen are two minutes out um, um hold on you know try try talking in a calm manner to a victim sure that can go s- such a long way to calming them down which has a positive approach versus putting a camera three feet away and making them tense so there's you don't have to ever lay hands on but simply the human interaction i'm here they're on the way i hear them they're two minutes that calms the, right. the patient and that's why very, i say be aware of your limitations too don't get yourself in over your head Oh but, no! But you can. Absolutely. There is a role no. you can play. It comes down yes. to service. I mean, we're as photographers, we're providing a service both to the, the the emergency services workers and the community. There's no question in my mind about that. But it also comes down to a service to your fellow man in the time of need. And and not to sound overly dramatic, but it's a fact. And if and as Tim said, if you're there first and there's nobody there providing aid, you, there's you know that person is in need. You do it. And if you don't do it. Hang your camera up because you do not belong in that scene. You don't belong being there. You don't belong being present. You have no business uh, being there if you're not willing to help. And as you said, certainly a level of training. I'm, I'm actually trained in an EMT level, so there are some things I can look for real quick, some things I can do very basically uh, prior to uh, the arrival of the emergency uh, for the fire department, the police department, whatever. Um, and I've done it. And I, I can remember accidents that I pulled up to with the camera, got out, looked and said uh oh threw the camera back in the card and I'm in the car and I'm boarding patients you know it it's you got to you got to use your head when it comes down to whether somebody is in need of help and and you know you got to you got to lend a hand that's what that's 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 just being human i agree we are service oriented and uh man we we're almost out of time here believe it or not we could keep going for a while but you know just a real quick add on for us southern california guys who do a lot of brush fire wildland fire work uh, you know, some of the we have to think about so much when you're approaching a scene, where you park your car, what direction it's parked, leave it run and leave the windows up. You have to know your escape routes. You you do you have to even pay attention to the elements during incidents like that. As far as wind changes, which way is the wind going? You know, look up, watch for crowning. If the treetops over your head are starting to go and it's just jumping from treetop to treetop, that fire can drop down behind you and you'd not know it. You know, in fact, I, I talked to Al Simmons the other day, who uh, is, you know, everybody knows Al Simmons. He does a great class on fireland safety and brush safety, and I think he'll be with us in a couple of shows down the road Good. to help us with that. Great. Yeah, we look forward to that. Um, and know the anatomy uh, of, of vehicles, too. If you're at a collision, you have hazards like a fuel leak. Um, you have, you know, if it's on fire, you've got a whole new set of hazards with uh, what's going in the air. But you have the hazard of airbags going off, gas pistons going off. Um, you, now you, with buses and a lot of refuse vehicles, you have compressed and liquid natural gas tanks that can go and blevy. Uh, you be, need to be familiar with these. And this is something we'll probably revisit again, too. And remember, when they're using those Hirsch tools, they can hit something that will ricochet or cause something else to pop or go. Uh, you know, And that's what they're teaching these guys. They now have a thing to go over the steering wheel to protect them. You know, For you as a photographer... 
remember that. Yep. Good stuff. And we could keep going like this forever. We're trying to stick to the hour here, and it has come uh, come upon us here. We're almost out of time. So, uh, uh, Tim and Ted, I thank you, sir. Ted, uh, thanks for joining us for this one. It's been a little Great while. Great to be here. Great, Great to, to be here. I'm glad to be back. Great to have you. Look forward to talking to you again soon. Same with you, Tim. You're welcome anytime, and hope to talk to you again real soon. Yeah, happy to join you today, and hopefully uh, folks will find the find the, this conversation of interest. I hope so, and you know we can always talk about it again, too. Ross, thanks for being here for another one. Um, you send us an email out there anytime you want with any questions or topic ideas. Podcast at firegroundaction.com is the email address. Go to firegroundaction.com for everything about this show. You can get to the blog. You can get to the show notes. You can get to and join our Flickr photo group to send uh, submit some pictures for critique and comments we also have discussions going on there so there's no shortage in our little community that we've built here so for everything uh, go to firegroundaction.com and that'll uh, connect you to anything we have going on for you well thanks again for joining us everybody we will likely revisit this topic yet again but that's all the time we have for this episode be safe out on those fire lines and we'll see you next time on fireground action photography